0: Shall we begin? Let the games begin. All right, all right, all right. A new age has begun. An age of freedom. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Get to the chopper! This is going to be quite a ride. Hey everybody and welcome to the Movie Pit Podcast. I am your host Christian Renteria and this is the podcast where we usually talk about the big movie news items of the week along with the movie trailers and the movies that are out in theaters and streaming for your viewing pleasures this weekend. However, this week's podcast is a little different obviously as you can see from the title. Because this podcast is a recap of 2021, at least the movies that came out in 2021, because uh, I'm not talking about my life. Uh, we'll be talking about my favorite movies of the year, my disappointments slash least liked movies of the year, my surprises of the year, my frustrating movies of the year, and uh, along with some other things as well. This year, like last year, I didn't reach my average movie watching count because, uh, well, you know. Covid, uh, and uh well it also if you follow the page uh my twitter page the for the podcast uh you know that for christmas i got covid um so uh technically before christmas so i had covid on christmas but i didn't get it on christmas um anyway uh, let's talk about some movies uh for clarity's sake i did see and watch uh 80 new movies this year uh, I won't be talking about all of them, obviously, because we'll be here uh, forever. Uh, but before we get to the list, I do want to point out movies that I didn't get a chance to watch that I really wanted to watch that probably would have made the list at some uh, one of these lists um, by the end of the year. So if you're wondering, hey, where is this movie? Why aren't you talking about it? It's probably because I didn't just didn't get a chance to watch it. Uh, so those movies, I have a lot of. <laughs> I have a lot of these movies. Uh, so I have Malcolm and Marie, News of the World, Cherry Corella, Spyro Pig, uh, Spiral not i don't know why i sound like i said spiral uh spiral <laughs> the those the, the Saw movie uh pig at the night house no sudden move riders with justice zola demonic the last duel the heart of they fall uh titan the power of the dog uh, nightmare alley which coincidentally i was that's the day that i tested positive for covid that i was gonna go to the movie laters uh, or i was gonna go to the movie later that day and then in the morning i went to go get tested because um we got a call that, uh, I might have, uh, been in contact with someone that was positive, so I went, and, uh, it was the case, so, didn't get to see Nightmare Alley, I was didn't get to see, uh, Kingsman, or the Kingsman, uh, that was, uh, we had rented out a, a theater for Christmas, and, uh, sick because I had COVID, I couldn't go, so, yeah, so that one's that, that's all on the list. Uh, unfortunately, uh, these are movies that just missed the list. These are movies that I did watch that uh, I just couldn't I couldn't really really find a place for them. And really thinking about it, I probably um, wouldn't want to put them on the list anyway. Um, they're just you know they're they're good. They're just you know movies that just didn't you know quite make any of the lists. Uh, Antlers, Werewolves Within, Raging Fire, Luca, and Army of the Dead. Uh, I think I didn't put rye on the last dragon that was also another notable movie that um didn't quite make the lists all right so let's just get to the first big uh group of movies because i feel like this is going to be a long podcast Uh, i might have to record this in two parts but uh here we go uh so the first big group we're going to talk about is what i like to call the undecided movies of the year Uh, i created this uh category this list a couple years ago for myself because these are movies that i want on a list that i definitely want on a list but for whatever reason i don't know where to put them uh so this is where that kind of comes in uh by the way every movie on the list uh is in alphabetical order so don't think because a movies first or last and the order that i talk about them in is that's that's the order they're in that's just how it works uh, alphabetically just for clarity sake and just you know to keep things fair i use i did used to you know put movies like you know in order uh, but i stopped doing that because it just it became really hard all right uh so the first undecided movie uh of the year that we're gonna talk about is a quiet place part two uh, i like many was blown away by uh, a quiet place it was a it was a full experience that i, I don't think many Believed was possible, and quite frankly, would never be replicated. Uh, that is until, of course, John Krasinski, who wrote, directed the first movie, also started in, and he also has a, a small role here uh, or makes a small appearance at the beginning of this one because it's a it's a flashback sequence before the events of the first movie. Uh, he decided to make a sequel. Uh, so, unfortunately, A Quiet Place Part Two is one of the many movies that, of course, was delayed due to the pandemic. I don't think um, it's hard to say, rather that. Um, the The results uh, of watching this movie in a theater compared to Paramount Plus or Video on Demand, which is how I watched it, was, you know, uh, changed your experience of the movie. Because uh, A Quiet Place definitely uh, probably benefited from watching it in a big screen and a theater with a bunch of other people who were trying to be quiet, you know, because they were afraid to make a sound like the characters in the movie. I think um, it was also you know, the same effect for A Quiet Place Part 2. So, again, I was one of the people that waited until it dropped on Paramount+. And let me tell you, it was a very different experience watching it at home in the summer with the blinds covered up and the air conditioner on at full blast because it was hot as hell outside and you having to turn up the sound system because you needed to drown out the air conditioner. And even I knew it was too loud at some point where it was too disruptive. So the experience aspect kind of ruined from watching this movie. It also doesn't help that some of the characters, especially in the beginning of the movie, whisper a lot. So, uh, movie-wise, storyline-wise, the sequel does try to expand the world a little bit. Uh, it picks up where the first movie left off. The Abbott family leave their home and run into Killian Murphy's character, who, in the flashback sequence I mentioned earlier, they interact with a little bit. Um, and, of course, you know they're trying to survive the monsters and, and and the world that they are now living in. The movie does shift its focus more on millicent simmons character uh, reagan uh who goes off to find a source of an odd uh, broadcast playing on the radio uh simmons was pretty much a breakout in the first movie so it was really smart for them to make her the focus in the movie and then pairing her with murphy's character who is pretty much always good in anything he does and made for a great kind of odd pairing character wise uh, on this kind of pseudo uh trek movie um you know again with monsters and, and other dangers of the world that they live in at the end of the day though it, it, it was fun it was fun being back with these characters and seeing where they went after dealing with the first movie um i heard someone describe i forgot who it was but i heard someone describe the sequel as a dlc uh which if you play video games you know that's downloadable content and i i feel like the, at the time when i heard it, it it was a little harsh but i kind of you know looking back at it as i was putting this list together <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's hard not to disagree with that, uh, which is I think why it kind of end, it ends up right here on this uh, on this uh, on this you know particular group uh, of of the lists. Uh, so the next movie on the undecided movies of the year, Candyman. If you want to talk about a deci- there was a lot of decisive films uh, this year, especially if you you know you venture into film Twitter. Uh, this one was one of them. This was a very de- uh, divisive film. Uh, Nia, of course, directed by Nia DaCosta. Uh, Jordan Peele produced the movie. Uh, it's a spiritual sequel to the first movie, uh, the, the you know, the old movie. I didn't get a chance to watch it in theaters, so I, I missed the opportunity to kind of hear and experience what an audience watching this would be like. I watched it at home uh, afterwards, and instead, like I mentioned, I just watched it at home. And I was just hoping that the movie wouldn't be wouldn't let me down considering you know i at that point I, I hadn't seen too much of the discourse and reaction online but i had seen enough of it where if i kept you know going down that rabbit hole it definitely would have affected my my experience watching it so here's the thing I, honestly even to this day and you know going back and seeing some of the discourse of it and seeing you know the movie pop up on some people's end of the year lists i don't really have still a full opinion on candy man On one hand, I see the approach they were trying to make with race and culture and everything else that they, the themes in the movie that they were trying to do. But on the other hand, you know, they're also, you also have to tell this, you know, uh, and try to make a horror thriller movie based on a character that still scares the crap out of people to this day. And as a horror thriller with some body horror in there as well, Candyman is so, so effective. The kills are pretty good, but there's one particular out of place. Why is a scene in there? A uh, bathroom scene with that—that's in the trailer, um, and it involves zero characters to have any connection to the main story or, or characters besides the fact that we see one of the the girls in, in that scene earlier in the movie. But other than that, uh, nothing, and it's pretty tame because every all the action happens. Off camera, it happens like in a reflection, and it's—I uh, don't know. Anyway, I, 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 you know, yeah, you know, sure, it's the horror that you don't see that scares you the most, but not here, not with Candyman, because that original Candyman movie was not afraid to show you the kills on screen. This one kind of is a little bit. um Yahya Abdul Mateen, the second, you know, his, you know, his his character, Anthony McCoy, he's an artist looking for his next, you know, big piece of work. Finds out about the legend of Candyman and looks for it for inspiration, and it drives. You know the movie most of the way, and you're you're left wondering, or at least the movie tries to make you left wondering if it really is Candyman, or is he just driven so much to find inspiration that he in his big break that he goes crazy, that he goes mad. And it's a great idea and, and approach to the story, especially with a modern day you know retelling and twist to the Candyman. But execution wise, it lacks a certain punch to really make it worthwhile, especially when we the audience kind of already know the answer or at least we're kind of hoping that the answer is it actually is Candyman, and that bathroom scene kind of, you know, answers that question, so that's why I'm I'm saying, like, that scene's just so out of place, really, when you think about it, and then there's the twists, uh, yes, I said twists, because there are two twists in this movie, uh, one of them kind of comes out of nowhere, really, and I think if it was given a little bit more time and focus, I think it probably would have worked, you know, I'm talking about, um the coleman domingo's character because he's connected to that i don't want to go too much in spoilers even though this is an end of the year list and i'm assuming you know that probably most people have probably seen these movies Uh, but the other one is the main twist uh which is um connected to yaya abdul mateen's character and a returning character that i think if you if you just accept it then i think it works but at the same time I think if they leaned into it a little bit more, instead of just being like, oh, you know, this is this is it, um, I think it would have worked. So okay, I guess I gotta I guess I gotta talk about it. Yahya Abdul Mateen's character is the baby from the first movie that Candyman steals, that Virginia Madsen's character uh tries to uh save or does save at the end of, at the end of the movie. Um and uh they kind you know they bring Vanessa Williams back and we're all wondering like okay like why is she back and why isn't Virginia Manson uh Virginia Manson's character back Virginia Manson apparently she was originally going to be in it but I guess they couldn't you know make it work at the end of the day so she wasn't there but they brought Vanessa Williams character back uh she plays the mother uh, of the little kid and you know she and you know we see that she ends up playing the we see that she is the mother of Yahya Abdul-Mateen's character and I, I, I kind of I, it was a nice surprise like seeing her pop up and you're like then you finally start putting two and two together but I kind of wish they maybe had played that a little bit more in the movie I don't know maybe it's just me anyway so I wouldn't say I disliked or hated the new version of Candyman like some other people are out there saying it's definitely not the worst in- <laughs> It's definitely not the worst in the series of Candyman movies, but the discourse around the movie when it came out was rather split down the middle. And for me, again, I still don't know where to put it. I will say, though, that the thing I loved about the new Candyman movie is the shadow puppet show that we see It's in its entirety during the end credits. We see a little bit, you know, when they're telling the, the history uh, in the stories of uh, of Candyman, but we see the whole thing play out at the end credits uh, with the very harrowing score uh, that I forgot to put down who 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 did the score and I apologize for that. But um, just seeing that whole shadow puppet show at the end, that just seeing that by itself is very harrowing and it's very it's very effective. And I, and I think that was probably the really the best thing about Candyman. And I don't know if that's saying something about the movie itself, but that's 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 really good. All right, moving on. let's just move on because we got a lot of movies to talk about. Uh, the next movie on the Undecided Movies of the Year, uh, F9. Look. I am not ashamed to say that I love the Fast and the Furious franchise, yeah, some of the movies aren't great, and they haven't hold up or they don't hold up very well uh, for me personally and overall, but this franchise has been around for a while, and more importantly, uh, since I was a kid, like many other people who probably grew up with this franchise, uh so seeing and following these original characters, the old characters and you know it just keeps the franchise going and there are millions of people out there who just grew up with these characters and want to you know want to watch these characters do their thing and this franchise also exceeds on the over the top action sometimes way too over the top action but that is what fans and the worldwide audience have come to love uh, and expect from these fast and the furious movies uh, all that said, recently the Fast and the Furious franchise is taking a bit of a dip. Let's let's be honest. Maybe it's franchise fatigue. Maybe it's because they lost Paul Walker, or maybe the franchise just really is finally running out of ideas, and they're just throwing things at the wall and see to see what sticks. But the Fate of the Furious, which was of course the last uh, the last movie, was not very good, and it it might get a pass because it was the first full movie that the franchise had to do after the passing of of, of Paul Walker or the public infighting between Diesel and Dwayne Johnson, which is still going on. Uh, Either way, it barely gets past. But here we are, talk about F9, and F9 had some things going for it. It brought back director Justin Lin, who directed the franchise from Tokyo Drift to Fast and the Furious 6. It was bringing back uh, Han, a beloved character who was thought to be dead, and he came back, and it was injecting some more muscular big men into the franchise with john Cena as dom and mia's forgotten never before mentioned brother jacob and jacob with a k by the way all that said the movie is still the movie still falls flat in most areas the explanation of hans's return is very much meh and even for the franchise with over-the-top action the how of how he comes back is way too unbelievable yes i know what i just said but the payoff with the end credit scene should be interesting to to watch because that's definitely you know what i think many fans wanted to see and we're finally going to get to to see that Uh, he then gets bunched in with a new character that's important to the plot and while it's great that we have another character to add to the family i don't think we need more characters in this franchise especially with the franchise supposedly ending Uh, but more importantly is the jacob story yeah diesel has once again put himself as the main focus of the franchise and put himself up against another man that we all know would absolutely destroy vin diesel in a real fight but the introduction of his character a brother of all things who has never again been mentioned this late in the franchise especially considering we have dom always saying family which has now become a meme it, it, it doesn't make sense it just it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever i will say though bringing back justin Lin to finish off the franchise if it is you know that if that is to to be believed spinoffs of course not included is a good move lynn reinvigorated the franchise with fast five he did something completely different even though some fans didn't like it with tokyo drift he brought back the core cast with fast and furious which was part four and he gave us a great action movie overall with fast five and fast and furious six so i'm definitely going to watch the next two movies because let's face it at this point you know when these movies are gone we're going to be missing them even if it's just for the memes and the jokes but uh, but yeah, uh, I'm gonna be missing. Uh, I will miss these movies, and I will keep watching them. And f9 again, you know, just it it, it was meh It was meh On the next movie, uh, A24. You will be seeing. <laughs> you'll be hearing a lot of A24 on the podcast, and we're gonna start off with one of them. Uh, lamb. It's the movie with Nomi rapace She plays uh, one half of a married couple on a farm in the middle of nowhere in Iceland, who mysteriously get a lamb. That's not just a lamb. No, no, no. It is a half lamb, half human baby. And honestly, the less you know about lamb, the better your experience will be, or at the very least, the better way to make an opinion on your own. Because, like A24 tends to do, these types of movies, the ending is a bit bonkers and it leaves you asking more questions than um than you you know already had probably answered and and want to have but overall lamb wasn't what i was expecting especially with how it was they were they were promoting it uh cuz even the promotion for the movie was a little was a little odd but uh yeah so the less you know about lamb the better which is why i put it here cuz i don't i don't know what to what to say more about about that uh, and the last undecided movie of the year also returns back to a24. Uh, it's Saint Maud. Uh, this is led and carried by the lead, uh, more Fred Clark, I think that's how you pronounce her name, her first name anyway, um, who I had seen, but don't remember seeing in Pride, Prejudice and Zombies. So I consider this my first exposure to her really, and it is something else. Clark's Maud is a hospice nurse with a troubled past that left her to be outed and deal with the trauma herself. She then gets a new patient because she's working freelance now as a, uh, a new patient with uh, who is a former dancer uh played by Jennifer ale and the two start up what looks to be friendship but then it turns into kind of a more one-sided thing and Maud thinks that she needs to save elle because Maud as you learn throughout the movie is very uh, devout in her beliefs in her and in, in her faith. And Maud Saint Maud is a is a great character piece, and definitely something that you can really. And I've seen people dig into and write multiple articles about whether it be about faith, whether it be about trauma, whether it be about um, any anything you know far in between that you see in in the movie. And for me, it really was just seeing how far deep Maud goes and where. It was all leading to, and that final act of the movie is something else. And it's I still think about that final act in the movie, and I still think about those final ten seconds in the movie. Anyone who has seen Saint Maud and has, you know, told you, hey, check out this movie out, those final ten seconds, that final minute of the movie, you're gonna be talking about her for for days. And I still think about this movie every now and then as well, because those final ten seconds in the movie will stick with you, and it will stick with you for a while. That said, the movie really just kind of felt sometimes like a buildup for that final act and and those final ten seconds because besides these psychological aspects that the movie uh, that, that, that yeah, that the movie does, you're going along with it and Satan, you're going along with it and and Saint Maud had me kept you know kept me asking, uh, was what I'm trying to say, what the hell is going on? And why is she doing that? And then it led me to think that if I really ended up liking the movie, uh, and it's just, yeah, that's what Saint Maude did to me uh, when I watched it. And I watched it at night, and I was like, I don't want to close my eyes because I'm going to be thinking about (laughs) what happened. Uh, So, yeah, there you go. All right, those are my undecided movies of the year. Let us move on to the next list, which is my frustrating movies of the year. So the first movie on the frustrating movies of the year, Halloween Kills. Oh, Halloween Kills. Look, I don't, I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon of hating the movie because I honestly don't know what to think or feel uh, still about the movie. Is it a step down from Halloween 2018? Yeah, it kind of is. But say that Halloween Kills is the worst movie of the year or even the worst Halloween movie ever? Come on. No. No, no, no. Uh, one of the problems with Halloween Kills is that uh, while it tries to explain, or not explain, expand <laughs> rather, the town of Hentonfield itself to be a real place and not just some random small town that Myers, you know, killed Laurie's friends in, it's a town uh, that has felt the legacy of those killings and is trying to move on, or from the looks of it, kind of has, or at least they're trying, or at least they're really good, rather. Uh, of trying to hide it publicly that is a you know until myers comes back into town and takes out years of suppressing urges to kill people and kills a bunch of people in the most brutal brutalest way possible uh the thing that um the thing is that it doesn't really work because besides the mob of thomas people the only residents that we get to know are the legacy characters or you know the survivors of michael myers as the movie you know labels them at labels And even then, the legacy characters are mishandled uh, in such a way that you really feel like they just wanted to connect with the John Carpenter classic even more instead of doing something interesting or fun with those characters. And I don't know if it would be considered a problem if, uh, it, but I, I did see people saying that they also didn't like. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie was basically sidelined for the whole movie and and back in the hospital, like in Halloween 2. And and while it does, you know, suck to see Curtis out of action, considering she went toe-to-toe with Michael Myers in the last movie, you know, she also got stabbed, and the movie takes place pretty much immediately after the first movie, so it would make sense that she, you know, would be out of commission a little bit. Um, Allison, the character of Allison, Laurie's granddaughter, played by uh, Andy magic magic i I, I forgot how to pronounce her last name uh she has that determined drive you know that final girl drive but the writing for her character is kind of lacking it's really doesn't make any nothing that she really does makes her her character pop Uh, judy Creer's character uh karen which many people have opinions on after this movie came out uh especially with where she ends up in the movie is involved in the storyline that i get why they have it in the movie you know it's you know the idea that this other uh, patient is running loose in hanfield and you know he gets mistaken for michael myers even though every time they, you know they try to show michael myers on tv you know they they show his, i'm assuming people probably know what he looks like at that point and that's another problem that's kind of like a little you know if you really dig deep into halloween kills like wouldn't people know what he looks like wouldn't the townspeople want to know what you know this guy looked like after all these years whatever But, um, I get why they have that storyline in the movie and, but at the end of the day, it kind of just, it ends and they're like, oh, anyway, uh, let's move on. So that just, you know, I just feel, it's kind of weird. And again, considering where her character ends up, it's like, why give her, you're just giving her more to do. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like. Why, why'd you gotta do that to, to her character um so i i, I don't know um, the humor injected in, into this movie you know the first movie had some humor of course you know and you had danny mcbride and and uh coming in and you know uh director david gordon green has you know some some uh, experience with comedy as well so the humor injected into the mo- uh, movie is mainly from big the characters of big john little john which again uh, were characters that some people, you know, uh, were questioning why they, these characters are in the movie, um, And had people divided. And considering how brutal Michael is to them, uh, and in the movie itself, it, you know, having them in the movie does give the movie a bit of a break. You know, it gives the audience, you know, some room to breathe. And of course, it's a horror movie, and people gotta die. And you know, just don't get too attached if you end up loving those characters. Just, you know, just say uh, honestly, Halloween Kills it, it is kind of a bit of a letdown uh from some of the writing to the characters the story choices especially the big one revolving around michael uh which you know the, the question of you know is he you know really magical or is he you know just some you know old he's he's got old man strength and you know the conflicting comments by david gordon green who came out later it just it doesn't really help the blow isn't really lessened either by the fact that we know this is the second part of a story and i think you know when you realize that and you know that walking in you kind of felt like okay this is the second part of the story we're not going to get a full movie and one of the biggest complaints that i saw people have about halloween kills is that the movie feels like it's incomplete it feels like it's only the first half uh, or at least you know the second half kind really uh of the story and they're right that's what it feels like so that kind of you know that kind of also sucks a little bit because you know like yeah we know another halloween movie is coming with halloween ends which comes out you know hopefully later this year you know, because of COVID and everything, so hopefully uh, they get that done. And we know that the Halloween ends will take place years after Halloween Kills, presumably you know present day with everything. So I I don't know. And Like I I I, I don't know. Uh, I know you know there's a lot of negative stuff that's been said. I just to bring some positivity into here. Uh, I love the flat the, the flashback sequence, and I think everyone agrees that the flashback sequences in uh halloween kills are the best part they got everything down from the original mask the costumes the coloring the 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 onset uh the crew member who looked a lot like um uh why am i blanking on his name not his character name it's loomis uh donald pleasance there you go um that fact that he looked a lot like him and they just like put makeup on him like some makeup on him to make him look even more like donald pleasance so he can look like dr loomis and that scene that's that's incredible like i thought it was cg i thought it was like a deep fake but apparently it, it wasn't so that that's really cool and they released like pictures of you know the guy and putting him through the makeup process that's that's really cool so um i don't know i just you know it's, it's it was frustrating because like i was really looking forward to it i think a lot of people were looking forward to it i think if you want to put a let down if there was one movie that i had to say let let me down this this year it, it probably was halloween kills uh moving on to the next frustrating movie on the list uh paramount uh paramount paranormal activity next of kin which you can watch on paramount plus <laughs> Uh, the paranormal activity movies have a weird special place in my heart the first movie was kind of treated like an event movie it toured from city to city before it officially got picked up by a studio and played in theaters full time and that's saying a lot for a movie since it almost didn't get picked up at all It did weirdly found a home because of steven spielberg which is one of my favorite pieces of hollywood uh, trivia ever uh the best way to describe how the movie was of course uh was it's it was pretty much at that point in modern day take an approach to the Blair Witch Project the, the, the found footage movie aspect of it all both extremely low budget with no-name actors with pretty much one or big iso- isolated setting and a few camera tricks and, and, and you know a script that wasn't uh, or a story that wasn't too scripted that it was pretty much you know characters improvising and made the characters more believable and it worked it really did. I know, uh, you know, we know better now that Paranormal Activity was a movie and, you know, these characters are okay and stuff. But back then, you know, it, it kind of had that same essence, that same feeling of. of- the Blair Witch Project. So anyway, uh, the franchise opened up. The, the possibilities were endless. The movie was made like on a nothing budget and made millions and millions of dollars. And they made an equally great sequel, a horrifying sequel at that, updating and introducing what would be the lore of the franchise. The third movie went back in time and giving us more scares. And, and this, then the series kind of took a dip after that. The fourth movie felt like it was going away from the core characters from the first three movies and then kind of rounding them back in a kind of ham fisted way the fifth installment the marked ones tried to go another uh, different route adding a hispanic twist to it which was a very nice touch and it kind of you know was the better of this you know i thought you know it was probably going back to having these movies be really good and then they made the ghost dimension and um yeah <laughs> ghost dimension is not good guys it's it's it is not good uh, so when the news came out that they were making another one i was hesitant because you know again the ghost dimension wasn't very good but uh i heard that it was going to be a restart so i allowed myself to get a little optimistic and mainly do because uh, who was attached christopher landon was coming back to write the to write the movies he had been with the series since part two all the way to the marked ones it was directed by william eubank who directed the uh, underrated i don't think talked about enough underwater the one with Kristen stewart that came out a couple years ago and it kept the found footage style because, you know, it's the trademark of the series. So that was fine. Gone were the original characters and was back to kind of telling an original, quote unquote, story with new characters and, and, and new dread and whatever, you know, you wanted to put in front of it. However, it still wasn't enough to push the franchise or even the subgenre just a little bit further. And that is the frustrating part. Uh, found footage movies um kind of overstayed their welcome a little bit once the first movie you know the first paranormal activity movie came out and gave you know studios the idea to push their horror movies with this style and what ended up happening was that this subgenre, if that's what you want to call it became more or less the same of every movie with a few exceptions and, and standouts um here and there next of kin unfortunately falls under the territory of it being more or less the same of what we've seen you know from these found footage movies uh while the characters don't make dumb decisions mainly because the story doesn't let them which is a very nice touch their actions sometimes border lines on <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> uh the story follows margo if you know uh played by emily bader in the movie who not knowing who her mother was gets a message from someone claiming to Not only know who she is, who her mother is, and know who she is, they're apparently related. Uh, They're part of a secluded Amish community. But when, of course, she asks questions about who her mother is, she's always met with silence or kind of, you know, diverted somewhere else. And, of course, in true paranormal activity fashion, the longer they stay on the farm, the more danger uh, they encounter until the final act where everything, you know, goes, you know, batshit crazy. I wasn't, it wasn't like I was expecting next of kin to break ground and change you know the subgenre of found footage movies but i was expecting something else was expecting a little more something with a little bit more punch um again it's it's you know if you it's a paranormal activity movie but doesn't feel like a paranormal activity movie which is fine which is great again if you know that it's this kind of a restart but i don't know if they will continue with this or if they're going to go with something else i don't know and the ending kind of already seen that ending multiple times from other Found footage movies So there is that. All right. Uh, my next frustrating movie of the year, The Little Things. This was the first big movie of the year uh, this year. Uh, Warner Brothers, of course, also the first big movie that Warner Brothers experimented with, uh, releasing their movies in theaters and HBO Max, which they're no longer doing this year. Uh, this was a long in development movie, which I found out later on. It finally came out and it was okay. Uh, the mystery drama thriller with Denzel Washington, Romney Malik, and Jared Leto. Interesting concept. You know, a guy, uh, Jared Leto is, you know, this creep who knows a lot about the case and he may be the killer. He may not be the killer. Uh, And uh, Denzel Washington and Rami Malek play, you know, detectives that are after him it had a decent trailer it made us all intrigued the main problem with the movie i felt is that it felt like it belonged in the 90s and it's probably because writer director john lee hancock had been developing it uh since 93 and he had been trying to get this movie made all throughout the 90s and didn't work so it's stuck in the back burner until apparently now and they made it which is why the ending of the movie kind of feels a bit like a letdown, mainly because we've seen similar endings already done and better and more deserved than that what this movie did. And so the little things also kind of dragged a few times. I wouldn't say it was boring um, because you know Washington and uh, Malik and, and Leto were entertaining enough, but I just you know it, it just kind of dragged on a little bit. And it, this movie should have been a little bit better, but um, it wasn't. Uh, unfortunately. all right and the last movie on my frustrating movies of the year uh and it's only frustrating because um kind of just the overall um not mess I don't know. messaging is not the right word. I don't know why messaging popped in my head. It, the overall uh, kind kind of knowing where or where this might not go. It's, it's Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> I probably just said what the movie was. Zack Snyder's Justice League. If you were a movie fan that rode the waves of film Twitter, you know there was not a day or an hour or a minute that you were online that you could not see the hashtag release the Snyder Cut. The thing was everywhere. And Snyder didn't help. Uh, he poured gasoline onto the fire by releasing images from his cut of the movie online, eventually, with a lot, and I mean a lot of push from fans, from Snyder, from the cast, the Snyder Cut. Of Justice League was a go. Warner Brothers even gave Snyder more money to finish special effects that he had already started to redo or to add. And then on top of that, he went and shot brand new scenes for the movie because why not? And, you know, the movie was already pushing three hours long, but he was like, you know what? No, I'm going to add more. I'm going to add more to the movie. This was going to be an event. Whether you were on board with it or not, Zack Snyder's Justice League was a must watch for comic book fans or people who were just genuinely interested in what was going on. I was not the biggest fan of the theater cut, and, which itself was a re-edit and reshot and overall change to make the movie more accessible. Of course, the general audiences, which is why the studio bought in Joss Whedon, who was done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And of course, the theater cut came under fire when word broke out that all these changes were being made and just how horrible of a person uh, Whedon was. Needless to say, the Snyder Cut was going to be the version that fans now thought of when they heard of Justice League. And the overall opinion was rather positive especially once you saw just how really different the movie was like holy shit this movie was completely different from uh, the movie that we got in theaters the main one of course being ray Fisher's cyborg for all intended purposes cyborg was the lead in the movie he was the heart and soul of justice league of Zack snyder's justice league uh, ezra miller's the flash had a really great scene that showcased what he could do what his character could do um and we finally got to see the popular villain dark side on our big screens but of course snyder couldn't help himself and he added a bunch of slow-mo for no good reason sometimes visuals took presence uh, precedence over story or pushing the story forward but overall yes the snyder cut was a better version of the justice league that we saw uh than the theater cut the movie was done with more heart and more soul uh as snyder's original reason for living of course um the 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 you know justice league at first was the passing of his daughter and i think a lot of fans knew and i think I'm, I'm pretty sure he also said this that coming back and finishing this was kind of his way of of moving forward and pushing forward with uh and dealing with uh with with that emotion and 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 this pa- and the passing of his daughter but even with all that said none of it matters anyway because the version of char- the version of these characters and the story and the world is not what Warner Brothers and DC Films are going to move forward with plus even if they decide to bring back cyborg to the big screen it's not going to be ray fisher playing him because of everything that happened with ray fisher and the investigations and the lawsuit and stuff like that and now there's rumors that the flash movie is going to you know erase the snyder verse i don't know if that's true or not it's just rumors but whatever uh dark side at the very least this version of him will also not be seen on the big screen and uh neither will the martian manhunter who appeared in the movie nor were the idea of the injustice league uh or even the future world where Deathstroke uh is, is helping batman cyborg mira and joker isn't happening that whole scene why is it out of focus <laughs> i still can't get over why that scene is out of focus for a majority of it um anyway the idea <laughs> of seeing zach snyder's justice league was cool and the push for it worked miraculously it worked but the end result is just disheartening and, and for not since we won't see these versions of the characters again because they're they moved away from that version of the dc uh, of the dc universe so yeah that that kind of sucks so those were the frustrating movies of the year uh, let us move on to the dishonorable mentions and my least like uh disappointments of the year uh, so the first dishonorable mention we're going to talk about is the hitman's wife's bodyguard uh i'm probably one of the handful of people That really enjoyed the first movie. Uh, I knew that, I I never knew, rather, that I needed Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson in in a pseudo action buddy comedy where they basically hit and swear each other or at each other for for two hours. Motherfucker, I will will bust a cap in your ass if you don't give up that wheel. Have you ever said please or. Please, motherfucker! Why are we always yelling? Get out, boy! So I was pretty excited when the sequel was announced and that Sam Sam Hayek's uh, equally foul mouthed character would be returning she plays the of course the, the the wife uh the trailer delivered on the chaotic fun the first movie had and seeing reynolds jackson and, and hayek on screen together was definitely going to be a treat uh, unfortunately that wasn't the entire case the hitman's wife's bodyguard doesn't really doesn't really have the same charm from the first movie uh it wasn't just because there was another character to bounce off of it just there was just kind of something missing from the movie that that was a little disappointing and rather uh, you know than you know Trying to force something or anything like I don't know, it just it just it just you know it felt like it was missing something. And uh, thankfully, the chemistry between the cast is great for the most part. But I just you don't know, it was just it, it was it it just wasn't as good. I don't know. Uh, the second dishonorable mention is the reckoning. Uh, when I found out that Neil Marshall, the director of Doc Soldiers, and The Descent, and, and episodes of uh, Game of Thrones, was going back behind the camera with uh, with a medieval movie, at that I was pretty excited. Because I, I'm a huge fan of Neil Marshall and, and the stuff he's done. And um, then I watched The Reckoning. And <laughs> the movie isn't horrible or bad, per se. <laughs> it's definitely not what I was expecting from Marshall considering his past movies. Um, the movie ha- uh, the movie follows uh, Grace, who was played by uh, Charlotte Kirk, who I found out was Marshall's fiancée and also co-wrote the movie. Uh, she was also the... Uh, you know, if you look her up and you see all these stories about uh some some scandal with her and some executives that that is her but uh her character grace is falsely accused of being a witch after the death of her husband and um she goes on the trial and one of marshall's uh, favorites uh sean uh petwee i think that's how you pronounce his last name co-stars as a priest who specializes in curing quote-unquote curing women from their hold on the devil and is assigned to grace's case and is paired with a mysterious woman who shares uh his uh, no mercy like way of completing their missions uh, Kirk like I mentioned who co-wrote the movie she does a decent job with the material and the role uh, obviously she co-wrote it so you know she you know had a pretty good grasp of who the character was uh, but I don't know just the movie it kind of it holds your attention for the most part and then it kind of loses it and then it gets it back and it does that too often and I, I just that's kind of why I think that's kind of why I felt you know a little off by by the reckoning um, Again, the movie isn't horrible. It's not. It's not bad, but it just wasn't something that I was expecting from Marshall, considering what he's done beforehand. Um, Hellboy, of course, not included. Uh, although I don't blame Marshall for for Hellboy. Um, but it's, uh, moving on, so let's talk about my uh, disappointments slash least liked favorite movies of the year. I think both of these are just my least liked favorite movies of the year. Uh, I'm not gonna say my worst movies of the year because I'm pretty sure there's something worse out there that I haven't watched. So these are the movies that I just yeah, I just didn't like. Um, Chaos Walking uh what a wreck of a movie chaos walking it's, it's it's it has its own share of production problems with the cast having to go back and reshoot a good chunk of the movie after poor test screenings and, and studio oversight which is a shame considering you know tom holland daisy really as your leads it's directed by doug Lyman, who mr and mrs smith and tomorrow uh Edge of Tomorrow, uh, the Tom Cruise one with Emily Blunt, well, you know the Groundhog Day-esque movie. Uh, admittedly, you know the source material itself is kind of hard to translate on screen properly without getting too crazy or, or overboard with it. It's based off a book uh, trilogy by Patrick Ness, and um, uh, Holland's, uh plays a, Holland plays a character called Todd Hewitt who lives on a planet where every woman has died and every man alive has the noise, which is a mysterious disease that causes every thought in your head to appear so basically your, your every thought is being broadcast and you can't really stop it or do anything about it uh ridley's character uh a character named viola she crashes on the planet and is discovered by todd and the two then have to go on the run from a crazed preacher played by david Alawalo who for for whatever reason the first time i saw was like that is, who is that and then i realized it was david alawallo like halfway through the movie and i was like oh that's okay uh and then the mayor of the town that todd lives in uh play is played by uh, mads mickelson so this this is a pretty good cast and for whatever reason this movie is just is just terrible the, pro- the problem with the movie is it's just it, it felt like it was trying to put in as much material from the book uh, even though the material didn't fit the need of the story that it was trying to tell. And I assume the idea was that it was going to put all these things in there just so, you know, they can flesh it out more in future sequels, which I highly doubt are happening. Uh, Holland and Ridley have okay chemistry together, but the movie just trudges along. It, you know, there's really just, it just it kind of just trudges along. There's not, the action sequences are okay. They're not really, you know, groundbreaking or anything. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's not that great of a movie. Uh, the next movie, um, I do consider this as dis- a disappointment, but it's also probably my least liked m- movie of the year as well. Uh, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. Uh, I was very, and I mean very, i never allow myself to do this, but I-, I do it every now and then. And thankfully sometimes it works. This, it failed me this time. I was very cautiously optimistic for Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, considering who was involved uh johannes roberts who directed uh the surprisingly decent uh 47 meters down and uh the Stranger's prey at night uh, and the cast was pretty good i i pretty much knew who everyone in the cast was and i was really looking forward to, to seeing them play the characters and i know a lot of people were like oh they don't, they don't look like the characters at all but that, that's uh, whatever that's fine with me i don't care and then you know it took a while for the mo- for anything for the movie to come out and then it finally came out and i was still very cautiously optimistic even though that the trailer came out and for whatever reason the song choice they used in the trailer was like, what, what are you doing? Why? Um, but Welcome to Raccoon City had a good idea. It's set in the 90s. It's based on the first two video games. I think they even brought in some tidbits from um, Code Veronica in the movie. And they put the focus more on the horror than the action. At least that was what they promised. However, what we ended up with was a very slow paced sometimes boring and i i don't like saying that about movies but sometimes boring new adaptation of resident evil the movie mainly focuses on claire played by uh kaya uh Scolodario from crawl and the maze runner movies who returns home to raccoon city here it's a small town that's completely been taken over by the umbrella corporation kind of on the eve of everyone leaving pretty much uh claire gets information that something is happening to the town and goes there to warn her brother chris played by robbie amell who's a police officer the other focus is on the other uh police officers that are left in raccoon city Uh, we have chris we have joe valentine played by hannah john Kamen, albert wesker played by tom hooper uh, or hopper sorry a rookie leon kennedy played by evan jovia uh the chief Uh, uh, played by donald lowe and others who respond to the incident at the spencer mansion so we do have the spencer mansion in 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 the movie honestly i was really hoping that at, at least this movie would be decent that was my only hope for the movie that it would at least be decent it didn't have to be good it just had to be decent and one i ended up with was a movie with no real fleshed out characters or characters that literally added nothing to the movie or the story overall like why is that character there why why is that character why did that character do that that's so dumb there's a one point where it's supposed to be a character that knows everything that's happening and then lets something happen to him which is so stupid the horror of the movie was very subpar it was barely scary at all and the action sequences were pretty weak to tame it made the action in the resident evil movies in the, the paul ws anderson movies look like masterpieces that's how bad it is there are moments that should feel strong and should have a bigger impact but instead they feel just rushed and they're like no we got to keep the movie going You know, like you know you don't have time to you know you know feel what you what you're feeling right now like claire finds out the thing that she's there for and then it's like no we gotta go do this first and like we no we have to go do this claire sorry you 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 can't you, no it's uh it was it was so bad it was it was probably my dis my most disappointing movie of the year because i allowed myself to be optimistic for this movie and and this is what happens when i allow myself to be optimistic okay ugh, moving on let's move on to the surprises of the year let's let's move on to something that surprised me you know surprised me that was actually very good or at the very least more better than i thought it would be uh first one is 8-bit christmas i didn't really know anything too much about 8-bit christmas i I didn't even watch the trailer when it first came out i just knew that it was out and i knew kind of what the movie was about uh so nostalgia nostalgia can be a very good or bad thing depending you know especially in movies especially considering you know what they're about and, and especially when you make it the backbone of your movie an 8-bit christmas is just that uh although i wasn't actually born or grew up in the 80s my siblings did and i kind of have lived through the 80s through them and so anytime 80s stuff pops up or you know is mentioned or anything like that i can usually follow along and appreciate it uh, on another on another level so you and then you know you add in some 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 nintendo and you got me uh the movie starts off with neil patrick harris as a father who's spending time um with his daughter around christmas and all she wants for christmas is her own phone and uh you know when they go to his childhood home and and she's you know still trying to you know ask for it and he wants her to stop asking he tells her the story of how when he was a kid all he wanted for christmas was a nintendo and then we get flashbacks and pretty much that's where the movie picks up those flashback sequences that made him as a kid Kind of around her age, I, I think as well. And we meet his friends, we meet his bully, and we meet his parents, played by Steve Zahn and June Diane Raphael, uh, which are very good, very good characters. Nostalgia aside, Eight Bit Christmas is a great coming of age story with a really good young cast that carry the movie uh, and the material and the antics. Uh, that you know you can only get away with with kids in the 80s it was really good also secretly a very touching story that throws out of nowhere emotional bomb at you at the end but i was not ready for and when it happened i was like why 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 are you doing this to me why are you doing this to us that's not cool we just we just sat through laughing this whole time like why why are you doing that that's 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 not cool man why are you doing this so uh that that in itself put it on my list for surprising movies of the year because i just was not expecting that and, and it worked it really did uh the next surprise of the year is america the motion picture it's an anime movie on netflix i'm just gonna come out and flatly say that america the motion picture it was one of the most ridiculous movies that i've seen this year as well it's if it's a surprise of the year and i made a ridiculous category america the motion picture will go on that category because it is ridiculous it's an animated movie it follows george washington who was voiced by Channing tatum who after the murder of his best friend abraham lincoln (laughs) If you know your history, you know that can be possible, uh, rallies up a crew of Samuel Adams, who's a drinking bro, Paul Revere and his trusty steed, the reluctant uh, Geronimo, and the witch, quote-unquote, uh, Thomas Edison, who was voiced by Olivia Munn, because yes, Thomas Edison is a woman in this movie, to take down King James and his right-hand man Benedict Arnold from taking over the colonies. If that doesn't prove my point in how ridiculous this movie is, and if you watch the trailer as well, then really... I mean, come on, it's, just, it's, 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 and the movie's fun, it, you know, the take away historical accuracies for a second, you know what this movie is when, as soon as you hear the synopsis for that, it's just fun, it's a good chunk of it, where the jokes really work, obviously you need to, again, dis- disbelieve your, suspend your disbelief of history to enjoy the movie, but I, I, I was, I was not expecting it to be as funny and, and laugh, and laugh as much as I did when I watched it, so, it does have some pacing problems, but. For the most part, it's it's pretty good. Uh, my last surprise of the year, uh, Tom and Jerry. I probably, like many of you, grew up watching the old Tom and Jerry cartoons. Of course, when I was a kid, I was you know watching you know reruns of reruns of reruns times you know what have you. But still, overall, the story of the show was rather simple. Tom's a cat, hunts down Jerry the mouse, and shenanigans and physical cartoon bodily harm ensues. So it's a simple, straight to the point right especially for a half hour or hour show however long it was with different stories and a revolving door of uh of side characters so you know there have been tom and jerry movies in the past i can't remember there's been you know live action you know kind of uh, cgi hybrid movies of of the characters so i'll go out of the limb and say this is probably the first one that, that, that 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 has done that uh and honestly the movie it's pretty fun, you know, it's a kids movie. It's it's a family kids it's a family movie, it's a kids movie. Um I wasn't expecting it to be the greatest thing ever. Um and it's not the greatest thing ever. It really isn't, but it's it's still a lot of fun. You know, story-wise, you know, Tom and Jerry have left the suburbs and they go to New York City. Not knowing that each of them were there until, you know, a chance meeting at Central Park. And then eventually, Jerry moves into this very high-scale hotel. And Chloe Grace Moretz's character, who is one of the human characters, uh, she plays a character named Kayla. Who tricks the high-scale hotel into hiring her off, you know, false pretenses. And she hires Tom to get Jerry. And all this is taking place while the biggest wedding in the world is being planned to take place at the hotel. And of course, yes, shenanigans and cartoon physically body harm ensue. Um, the whole, you know, hot live action CGI hybrid movies, they usually don't really work for me most of the time, uh, mainly because, you know, kind of the uncanny valley aspect of it all. Uh, some of them really work. Some of them, you know, are very seamless and stuff like that. But when it's, you know, very apparent that it's a cartoon and not, you know, like just like the CGI creation, it kind of just takes me out a little bit. But overall, I mean, it's a Tom and Jerry movie. It's 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 fun. It's a mixed bag of like, like the human story is like a mixed bag. Michael Penny is in there. He plays Terrence. He plays a character. Was probably the highlight of the supporting cast as a manager of the hotel who doesn't fully trust Kayla and you know he's Michael Peña kind of you know doing a voice and stuff like that so it's it's Michael Peña at all so is it a perfect movie no it's it's not but you know I wasn't expecting at the beginning of the year to be like Tom and Jerry's gonna be good it's gonna go on one of my lists at the end of the year and here it is it's in my surprises so all right so those are my surprises we're gonna stop and we're gonna move on to my honorable mentions all right so the first honorable mention we have here on the list is Black Widow uh, Marvel finally got around to making that much wanted Black Widow movie. Unfortunately, it happened after the death of her character in Endgame. And in universe wise, it happens in between the events of Captain, uh, Captain America: Civil War and Avengers Infinity War. But then, uh, we got that very, uh, last post credit scene that jumps to sometime after the events of Endgame. Again, not bashing. I, I love the MCU and just making sure that everyone gets the timeline that, of course, led to, uh, to Hawkeye. Uh, yes, uh, while the movie itself is a bit late, the overall experience of Black Widow still holds pretty strong. Uh I think this was the last movie review that I did, uh a while back ago, anyway. I did the Spider Man uh, No Way Home review uh not too long ago, a few weeks ago. Uh maybe it was just because one never sees Scarlett Johansson play the character again, or maybe it was because this movie was hyped up uh more because of the pandemic that we just wanted to see the new MCU movie coming out because this was the first MCU movie after the pandemic. Either way black widow was kind of fun at the very least it was a decent movie a very also decent solo outing for Johansson for the character because we've never seen her by herself she's always been in the group the action was pretty pretty spot on you know even the you know uh, you know finale uh cgi battle in the sky it was a contained story it didn't really need to fit into the wider scope of the mcu it, it had a great supporting cast of course with standout florence Pugh as yelena um david harbour as uh the red guardian and rachel weiss as uh Malina, even though weiss didn't really have too much screen time and wasn't given a, a lot of um stuff to do compared to the other characters we had that great opening scene um opening scenes rather i should say you know the that was said in the past with the escape and then the opening montage with the cover of uh, smells like teen spirit playing over the fake home videos and and the videos of the red room uh, and everything else a haunting way to start off a marvel movie not what i expected at all and that's immediately stood out uh, you know making it a standout for the for the rest of the movie and you know showing you like hey we can do different movies it's not just you know all these loud comic book movies uh i really don't have too many things to say against uh against black widow personally i think the movie could have used a, a little bit of a punching up which i talked about in my review uh villain wise i know a lot of people had to say or had things to say rather about taskmaster uh who was a fan favorite of the comics and one of the people that were looking forward to, to, to seeing in the movie and but um i think what they did with the character and the story they were trying to tell in black widow it made sense for the changes they made to to the character so but yeah black widow not too bad that's why that's why it's here um, my next honorable mention is Dune. Look, you either really like Dune, or you didn't, <laughs> and I think that's kind of where the line falls. I don't think there was a lot of in between for uh, the epic adaptation uh, of the movie directed by Denis Villeneuve, who ended up uh, only being an adaptation of the first half of the book. Um, like any other Villeneuve movie, you know, visually and the cinematography of Dune is beautiful to look at, and I do feel like any other um, and it does kind of feel rather like another character in the movie, von Web and cinematographer Greg Fisher, who has done cinematography for Snow White and the Huntsman, Zero Dark Thirty. He also did the, uh, cinematography for, uh, the Mandalorian series on Disney plus, and he's doing the cinematography for the Batman coming up, um, made, despair and freaking sand he made sand look beautiful and gorgeous and and everything else like that i know a lot of people were saying you know that besides the visuals everything else in the movie just it wasn't great like the characters weren't great and stuff like that and i kind of agree with that but i don't know i I, it was it was it was a mixed bag but i you know i i I liked it i ended up liking it so you know my next honorable mention encanto which uh, i think i've you know mentioned i think probably on the twitter i don't think i mentioned it on the podcast i think i mentioned on the twitter i was not really looking forward to Encanto uh at all I, it didn't really win me over and then the, the last trailer they released really won me over and then i watched it uh when it came out on disney plus um after i was released from my uh isolation prison <laughs> um and it was good i liked it i, I thought it, visually it looked great the colors uh, of the movie just popped every time they were on there the um the story it was trying to tell the themes of the movie were, were really good and i know a lot of people had a lot of things to say ab- about the movie uh the the a lot of okay, so <laughs> i'm trying to put this in a way that doesn't offend um uh, anyone who doesn't know what i'm talking about uh so if you ask any hispanic uh or latino uh person uh, you know what they thought about encanto like the real theme of it all they will tell you that they either felt personally offended <laughs> personally attacked or um saw with someone that didn't get that part of the movie and uh everyone who knows what i'm talking about knows what i'm talking about so if you don't know what i'm talking about go go ahead and ask one of your uh hispanic or let's you know friends uh but i really liked Encanto. i really did the the, the story was great the 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 visuals were great the the songs were were pretty were pretty spot on too so um yeah I, i really liked it especially for a movie that i didn't have any you know expectation for whatsoever Next on the honorable mention list, um, the Fear Street Trilogy, all of them, 1994, 1978, and 1666. Uh, one of the biggest and not the biggest uh, Netflix ambitious release schedule and the gamble really for was for the Fear Street trilogy this was originally set to come out in theaters and they were going to follow the similar format they were going to release a movie at the beginning of the year they were going to release the the release the next movie you know months afterwards and then release the next movie you know months after that as well so netflix kind of took that approach but they were like no no we're not going to we're not going to wait months no we're going to release it back to back to back every week so that was really cool uh, of course, this is again based off the R.L. Stein uh, book series, and you know he had you know Fear Street. And of course, he had Goosebumps as well. Um, so uh, they really made this feel like an event. You know, they really put a, you know their you know their eggs in the basket with this, and thankfully it worked. It was pretty. I was pretty excited from the start for this project when, when it was announced because I hadn't read a lot of Fear Street. I don't think I've read you know I probably read like one, maybe one or two, but I knew what the series was. I, I knew that it was you know kind of the more adult take on you know horror than than goosebumps was so uh when it was announced um you know especially you know how the movies were going to be announced like everyone was like why is it going backwards why are they doing that that's that's dumb why are they gonna do that like i know like i saw a few people have been like no i'm gonna watch them in order i'm gonna watch 1666 first and then you know 78 and then 1994 uh yeah we were dumb for thinking that because obviously they knew what they were doing (laughs) uh so the order of the movie makes sense you know the main storyline takes place in 1994 and then we you know 1978 acts kind of like as a as a bridge for certain characters from the first movie giving us context for the others and then 1666 goes back in time to how everything started and does something really fun and interesting to finish out the whole story overall the core characters are really great mainly are our leads in um kiana uh madera i think i don't know that's a the last name uh she plays dina uh she studies the trilogy which is saying a lot considering what the script and the story have her doing sadie sink uh keeps the story going in the middle entry as ziggy uh of course she you know very familiar with netflix and and you know preteen stories with stranger things and stuff like that uh ryan simpkins as alice in in that um in that middle part as well it does a really great job and the period change in 1666 never really feels jarring as the past two movies uh really prepares us for it so it's not like all of a sudden this big time jump is gonna you know make you feel like odd or or, or indifferent like no it, it it makes sense for what they're trying to tell of course for being a horror movie there are some pretty cool kills and gore i think 1994 probably has the coolest kill in the trilogy and i think one of the coolest kills i've seen in a horror movie lately and one that i didn't see coming at all uh the killers care the killer characters are very interesting but i think execute uh, with the exception of only a few of them most of them are just kind of there for show and to look at and to look creepy i would have loved to get to know some of those more characters or get some explanation from those characters or just we just we just don't get them and while i really like the trilogy for what they were also able to do the trilogy isn't without its faults uh the constant needle drops in 1994 kind of took me out of it uh, 1978 kind of runs into a very slight and minor pacing problem where the uh, for, for the movie and and yeah, kind of uh, it feels like it kind of stops and then it revs up again and 1666 is tasked with putting everything together and trying to you know tying it all up and for the most part it does and, and but again it just kind of goes back to the killer characters um that just kind of thrown in at the last minute for for creep factor and, and and tension and and while we're at it if you haven't watched them yet um i will say skip the outros because the outros for Netflix for, for the end for the ending you know once one movie ends like coming up on the next chapter skip that because it spoils a lot for whatever reason you know i, I we were watching my brother and i were we watched all three of them you know the same day because we waited until all of them were released but we watched it and then the segment came up and then we realized that the outro and the segment for what's coming up uh for for 1978 uh it really spoiled the movie we were like that spoiled a lot and then we had to stop ourselves from watching the next one because we're like we don't want to get spoiled so yeah uh but the biggest kudos goes to director leigh janik who was able to pull all this off with a tremendously short filming schedule and a cast that was willing go for it and keep the gore and kills as practical as possible which is always a nice touch and horror and horror films and i for one can't wait to see what janek does next whether it's something completely new or another set of fear street movies which she says she's down to do seriously if you're not even the biggest horror movie fan uh fear street i feel i feel like it's a good gateway into the horror genre for for fans and, and non-fans alike so give it a shot if you haven't it's three movies they're not that long they're really great go give them a shot All right, next on the list is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, The Ghostbusters franchise has always been a very touchy subject when it comes to studios, uh, obviously Sony in particular, wanting to continue the legacy. It could be because the first two movies are so beloved by fans and they don't want anything to taint it. Uh, personally, I've never really felt uh, that strong of a connection to the movies because I, despite knowing that they existed and the song and everything, I actually didn't see the movies in its entirety until I was very much uh, older than I was or older than, you know, probably a lot of people watch them. Uh, so a lot of fans were upset by the last Ghostbusters outing, which, you know, had the gender swap and, and Chris Hemsworth continuing to add his comedic chops. And while I enjoyed that movie for what it was uh, and looked past the gender swap, unlike many other fans did at the end of the day, it was just OK. It, it was just an OK movie even with the ghostbusters brand behind it enter jason reitman the son of ivan reitman who of course directed the first two movies and while jason was adamant about never really touching any of his father's movies especially ghostbusters along came a story that jason just couldn't really pass up and the movie went into development and fans were cautious with another ghostbusters movie as they should be but some were calmed down by the fact that it was being done at least at the very least, by Jason Reitman, so at least he couldn't do anything to ruin his father's previous work. Plus, it was a departure uh, for Jason Reitman, who usually focuses a lot more on dramas to modest-budget movies, as opposed to the big-budget studio blockbusters like this was going to be. Uh, The result? Ghostbusters Afterlife is a sequel to Ivan Reitman's movies. It's not a reboot, it's also a family drama with themes of legacy, which is very fitting. The movie follows the grandchildren of, of Egon, excuse me, of Egon, played uh, always by the always reliable and slowly taking over Hollywood uh, McKenna Grace and Stranger Things as uh, Finn Wolfhard, along with their mother played by Carrie Coon. In the movie, they move to the middle of nowhere where Egon uh, where Egon passed away and left them a rundown farm with no money. Though <laughs> the family decides to stay there for the summer um and um grace's character uh, mechanic, mechanic grace's character phoebe uh starts to find his work and uh she meets a new friend uh, named podcast and their teacher played by paul rudd and they slowly discover why he was there and what he was really you know up to and what he was doing uh and afterlife filled with easter eggs that some people felt uh sometimes were very heavy-handed uh i didn't really see it that way again it could be just because you know i wasn't you know deeply connected to the to the franchise like other people but i think it did help bridge the gap between the old fans and the new fans and while also not trying to ruining to to ruin the story it's trying to tell you know because sometimes easter eggs or nostalgia or you know references you know we talked a little bit about nostalgia earlier that can ruin the movie for what you're trying to do and more importantly afterlife is a lot of fun and it's funny and while it does um and and it doesn't get bogged down a lot and uh it, it gets a little bogged down some you know at some point but not too much to the point that it kind of ruins or hinders the experience and you know obviously there's the uh, overly obvious product placement of walmart and, the, and you know the very you know divided uh, marshmallow uh, the, the marshmallow store uh, scene that everyone seems to be either okay with or not okay with but overall i i think Afterlife accomplished what it, it set out to do and if you didn't tear up or at least ball like a baby uh, at the end of that movie I, I mean i don't know i don't know i don't know maybe you gotta go get your stuff checked so there you go all right uh moving on to the next honorable mention Godzilla vs Kong look it finally happened two of the biggest kaijus in 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 cinema history duke it out and 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 more than once it just wasn't one fight it was a bunch of fights Uh, I didn't think anyone really expected this to happen until it was announced by Warner Brothers that they would be combining their Godzilla movies and Kong Skull Island but either way once it finally actually did happen uh I'm sure fans like myself are very eagerly excited to see these two battle it out uh, i know godzilla the first movie uh, the, the reboot anyway that happened left many fans divided i personally thought it was very good uh i thought kong scott island was very also very good probably better than godzilla and probably better than even than the sequel but um yeah i think yeah i think it's probably the best uh, uh, overall of the of the four movies that we have already but um i really liked godzilla versus kong Uh, i I don't know like honestly i thought it it was a tough adventure for anyone who stepped, you know behind the camera but i think adam wingard um the director stepped up and and gave us in in my opinion a pretty good modern day take and approach uh, of these two facing off and granted it stumbled a bit you know there's some you know it's not a perfect movie it's not you know anything close to it being a perfect movie but when it comes down to the knockout drag outs that godzilla and kong have It's worth the price of admission alone. Uh, I'm very lucky that I got to see this on on a big screen. Uh, So maybe that, you know, changed my opinion. Uh, However, uh, with all the goodness, like I mentioned, there was a lot of missteps. The villains in the movie uh, weren't very um, fleshed out at all. I felt like they were just kind of, there and they didn't really do anything they didn't really feel like they were real half the time um i felt like they were just rushing sometimes uh through the scenes just to get to you know another massive point in the story or just to get to more godzilla and kong um the returning characters of millie bobby brown and kyle chandler really don't serve that big of a purpose really when you think about it they're kind of just there especially kyle chandler who just probably showed up for a couple days and got a nice paycheck at the end of the day um but the best part of the human story was, uh, Gia, played by, uh, Haley or Kaylee Hotley, uh, who is actually in real life a death actress. So, you know, uh, that, that, yeah, that was pretty cool. And we we're seeing a lot more of, um, the death community being, um, represented in Hollywood, which is, which is very, very cool. Uh, but her connection to Kong make, uh, you know, having her be the kind of adopted, uh, daughter to, Uh, Rebecca Hall's character in the movie, I thought that was, I thought that was a nice touch. I thought that was really cool. So, and again, at the end of the day, the, the, the big battles with Godzilla versus Kong, just, you know, it was awesome. It it really was. I I don't know. Is there missteps? Yes, there's obviously missteps, but you know, just seeing those two fight it out on the big screen was, was very much worth it. Uh, the next honorable mention, uh, is Jungle Cruise. Uh, Disney, you know, loves turning now their amusement park rides into movies. Uh, And of course, Jungle Cruise was was the latest one. Uh, It's a pretty simple ride, really. Uh, I remember right. I I have vague memories of riding it when I was when I was very young, when I went to go uh, do it before they, you know, eventually closed it down. Now they brought it back because of the movie um it's a simple ride to go down river with some animatronics and statues of animals and, and stuff like that and you listen to the cringe-worthy jokes by by the captain that you know they carried over to the movie and here you know they up the stakes you know you got dwayne johnson playing the, the captain who uh takes uh emily blunt's character and her brother uh played by jack white take them down the river to search for a mysterious and mythical fable tree that can grant people eternal life uh, and of course, not the only ones after, you know, Jesse Plemons plays a character who's, you know, very comedic and, and stuff like that. So, and you got the supernatural uh, aspect of it all. So it was, it was, it was good. I wasn't heavily sold on Jungle Cruise at first, despite being a fan of Johnson and Blunt. Um, but the later, the, the later trailers really helped me get excited for the movie and finally watched it. I had a lot of fun with it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the chemistry between Johnson and Blunt is is very very good um it, it was just a lot of fun it was definitely inspired by the african queen uh, the african queen which they took a lot of inspiration uh, a touch of romancing the stone and of course some you know pirates of the caribbean um you know feel to it uh, there you know overall jungle cruise was just a ton of fun i mean i don't know what else to say other than then it was a ton of fun and if you you know were you know borderline on watching or not I, i'd say give it a chance because it was actually very good uh, the next honorable to mention is last night in soho uh, I know a lot of this you know left a lot of people uh, divided as well. Um, and I get it, you know, I, I mean I, I understand it. you know, a lot of people were very uh, had a lot of stuff to say about the execution uh, of you know the whole mystery aspect of the third act of the movie and and um I get it. I understand it. and yeah, I probably could have used a little bit more work, but. I think, uh, at the end of the day, you know, I'm just a huge fan of Edgar Wright, so maybe, you know, maybe I'm a little biased, I don't know, uh, you also have, you know, uh, the great performances by Thomas and who, you know, is making a name for herself in Hollywood after, you know, Jojo Rabbit, and, um, she was in another movie that I highly recommend that you guys watch if you want to see something else that she was in called Leave No Trace, that's very good as well, that's the first thing that I saw her, and I think that's the first people a lot of, uh, I'm probably, most people probably saw her for the first time in Jojo Rabbit, but, you know, if- you're one of the few people who probably saw leave no trace uh and you saw her in it that that's kind of her first kind of breakout role uh and now she's in this and of course you got you know the always now reliable anya taylor joy in there and you got like the time travel aspect of it all the the great uh scene when um the, when the, the first dream sequence I, rather when um thomas and Mackenzie's character uh, eloise goes in and you know there's those 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 great camera tricks that Wright was able to do apparently they did that as practically as possible uh which i thought was really cool obviously they you know had cg you know into it but uh they did do a lot of it practically which i thought was really cool uh when i uh when i read it so um yeah i mean you know it was it was it was good yes was execution yeah it was you know it it probably could have used a little bit more work but i think at the end of the day i still really really enjoyed it um, my next honorable mention is *Malignant*. I think if anybody who saw this movie had a lot of things to say, and uh, it's directed by James Wan. I think he also co-wrote it as well. Um, honestly, the, the the modern day master of horror for for a long time, you know, with *Conjuring* and *Insidious* and um he just you know he, he he was great and then he came back and you know he took a little break he went to do his action thing he did furious 7 he did aquaman he's doing aquaman 2 uh but he came back to horror with this and uh he said that it was inspired by the julyo films it was also inspired by dario gento uh and you got that you got that a lot with malignant and it reunites him with annabelle wallace who was in annabelle <laughs> Which I always find funny. Uh, she plays Madison, a woman who recently uh has gotten horrible nightmares about grisly murders that feel very real, and her horrors are amplified when she wakes up and realizes the murders actually happen, and even worse, uh they might be she might be connected to them in some uh, unseen way. This movie is just I already swore on the podcast already, it's fucking bonkers okay like I don't know how else to describe it other than it's fucking bonkers and one literally said uh I'm not holding back anything so buckle up and enjoy the ride because it's gonna get crazy and if for whatever reason you've avoided the movie and the spoilers uh I, first I applaud you because um I watched this like the week after it came out and uh I, I didn't get anything spoiled for me i got an out of context shot of the movie and i was like what the hell is that and then i saw the movie and was like oh oh okay yeah, yeah i'm glad that that wasn't entirely spoiled for me so if you've avoided it and haven't read anything don't read anything just go in the less you know about the movie the better the, the more you can you can enjoy the reveal of what that was and the fact that they were able to keep that reveal and that twist from getting out is just Ooh, that is a feat unto itself. Um, so yeah, that that's th- th- I don't know what else to say other than go go watch it. It is a slow burn. It, it does take a while to really pick up, but once it does, that final act is so crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, yeah, that's just it's it's bonkers, man. It really is. Next on the list is Mortal Kombat. Uh, if you're my age, you know you probably grew up loving the uh, watching the original movie. And you probably played the video games also at at one point. But seeing the characters on the big screen or or TV or whatever is something else. And, you know, we got tortured with the god-awful sequel, Annihilation. Uh, So when word got out that there was going to be a remake uh, that was in the works and that it was going to be produced by James Wan and that it was going to be rated R, I think it was fair to say that everyone was excited to see what they were going to do. I know I was. And then the cast started getting announced and, and, you know, uh, pictures started coming out and the trailer dropped and it just made everyone freak out and and hyped that they were making a proper Mortal Kombat movie. I didn't even care if the movie was was a mess or if it was just going to be decent. I I know that I was at least going to have fun with this movie and I saw it and I had fun with it from beginning to end. Is it perfect? No, it's not. It, it, It is not. It is still... You know, there, there. You know, it's, it's there's a lot of you know stuff with it. You know, let's talk about the big elephant in the room. The movie is really a prequel. It's not really a moral Kombat movie because there is no tournament. There's a lot of talk about a tournament, but there is no tournament in the movie. It really sets up the tournament for future movies. Hopefully, there is one uh, because I, I'm I'm very much you know I would totally be down to watch a, a sequel to this. And then of course there's the league in the movie. Uh, played by lewis tan cole uh he's kind of our surrogate into this mythical world which i know a lot of people didn't like that the movie created a new character especially if a surrogate into the world it could have been someone else from the games like johnny cage who we do get a a tease for him in the sequel uh but that said uh, lewis tan you know did the best he did with the best he could with the situation and, and um you know his character is trying to prove himself that he could you know that he is a chosen one and, and and everything else like that with all these other characters so you know is he a weak link i mean story-wise yes because he's not from the games and you know obviously you know fans are very protective and 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 very own ownery over properties that they very much care about but you know i was fine with it uh the rest of the cast is pretty good of course everyone loved josh lawson's kano uh as they should have because lawson just chewed up all the scenery he was in and uh, despite knowing um, where his character ended up going it was nice to see him with the heroes for a little bit uh, even though you know he ends up becoming the character that you know we all know he become uh, joe tells him as uh, behan sub-zero was freaking scary dude like anytime he showed up i think you were just genuinely afraid for anyone because um they were probably not gonna walk away alive or unscathed whatsoever and of course um one of the standouts another standout besides joss lawson's character at least for me was um kong lao played by uh max huang i think that's how you pronounce his last name uh who honestly could have just been another nothing character but uh you know kong lao is you know uh a, a kind of a popular character from the video games i know i I love playing as kung lao in in the video games uh and um he has probably one of the best scenes in the whole movie and the best fatality scene in the whole movie and yeah i i I this i just i couldn't help myself when i watched it in in theater thankfully we rented out theater so i didn't embarrass myself in front of you know strangers but uh i would have loved to see that in a theater with fans because i just would love to hear their reaction to it when that happened because when that happened i audibly just gasped in the theater um so yeah there that that, there you go Uh, and then of course let's talk about the big man himself uh scorpion played here by hiroyuki sonata one of my favorites actors and character wise as well uh sonata's casting really uh, really hit big for me because i i love sonata like i just mentioned and the the brief period we saw him as the human character of hanzo hasashi was very bittersweet however this was something i knew fans were upset about was that we didn't really see scorpion that much scorpion didn't really show up really until the final act of the movie to the very end really and um part of me was like you know what that's actually kind of cool you don't want to oversaturate the character you know what makes scorpion so special is that he's you know he obviously he obviously is a fan favorite character but if he was in the whole movie would uh would that scene have been you know as special as it was so I, I don't know but at the same time it's like yeah you know we want to see more scorpions hopefully in the sequels we'll probably maybe see a little bit more scorpion hopefully if they bring if they bring it back i, I, don't, I don't see why they wouldn't bring them back but you never know. But that final fight that he has with Sub Zero, uh, which we saw a little bit in the trailers and stuff, that was really the selling point of the movie because you know obviously that's what fans want to see. Uh, I thought that was really cool. The build up was cool. The entrance was cool. The fight was cool. I I, I really liked it. Again, Mortal Kombat isn't perfect, but um, I sure had a lot of fun with it. So I mean that at the end of the day, that's what's important. Right, let's talk about the next movie, uh, No Time to Die. Uh, the Daniel Craig James Bond era is over. The twenty fifth Bond film, No Time to Die, brings a solid run of 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 correct bond to an end and the results are fairly mixed really when you think about it uh no time to die picks up sometime after the events of the last movie specter and we see bond and mandolin uh played by of course uh lisa Do, escaping it all living finally for themselves and of course you know that happiness is cut short and uh we have a new threat played by uh, rami malik with ties to Madeleine's past no time to die has a lot and i mean a lot going on. This movie is almost three hours long for for crying out loud. And while you really don't feel the length once, you know, the action starts, No Time to Die has a lot of loose ends that it has to tie up before, you know, the reboot potentially of the series or, you know, however they end up continuing after after this movie. Uh although it'd be really hard to continue after this movie considering the ending. Although, um so even though I, I found myself trying to find out where No Time to Die lands amongst the Craig movies, exactly you know exact listing wise anyway it's definitely not on the bottom and but it's also i don't think it's necessarily my favorite one so far i think skyfall or casino royale are probably uh my top two and and those will probably switch every now and then but this one's probably like right there and this is probably the number three maybe so besides craig and Sado, who already have a handle on their characters uh ben Wanshaw, uh q returns and He's as charming as ever, although every time I hear his voice, all I hear is Paddington now, because he does the voice for Paddington, so that was a little uh, weird, um anna de armis's character which you know everyone you know really loves uh paloma uh that that scene in cuba it was a a standout action sequence and you know obviously a lot of people want uh her to come back she came in and she did what she had to do she was great and she left so you know uh, if they never bring back her character i think you know what they what we saw was was enough um of course there was the new 007 agent played by uh lashana lynch um she's very calculating and and mission driven and uh, she's a great addition to the movie even though i wish we saw a little bit more about her maybe even kind of like a standalone sequence just to you know make her her own character and not you know not necessarily you know she's you know she's the new double O. you want to see what she does when she's by herself and not when she's with you know craig's bond's character So I kind of wish maybe we we had seen that. So uh, and again, I don't know, you know, where she if she comes back or if they rebooted or what have you. But there you go, Uh, Malik as the villain. You know, every good Bond movie has a great villain, and unfortunately, Malik does do the best he can with what he's given uh, from his character, whose name is Lucifer Seffen, which yes sounds a lot like Lucifer Satan. Um, He's not the best. Villain, even in in the Craig era, to to end with, and the whole concept of his plan sounds terrifying, and it really is when you, if you sit down and think about it. But I don't know. I think it just it felt a little too far left, right, a little too you know out, out there uh for the series of uh, Bond movies that always kind of seem to be you know grounded it for the most part. So I don't know. It, you know, it's just you know it's it is what it is. Overall, I did enjoy no time to die i did really like it despite some of its missteps it's just you know i think it's a little too long for its own good uh and the uh the ending which has a lot of people still talking it is you know I, I felt for what they were trying to to say here i guess it worked i guess it, it, it made sense but at the same time it's like okay well you know you kind of put yourself into a corner now uh but the next uh, Bond movie if you decide to bring, you know, these characters back, or if you're just going to go whole full sail and make a brand new reboot, so, I don't know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens with that, uh, but yeah, all right, Uh, the last honorable mention that we're going to be talking about here is The Green Knight, and yes, A24 is back on the list, uh, The Green Knight immediately went to my must-watch list when the trailer came out, because that trailer was, was really good it's you know green knight has has you know medieval times it's it's an authorian legend it's old english speak amazing looking cinematography and a badass looking uh green knight himself i mean what more could you want and then the movie came out and the green knight was all of that with dave patel giving an always reliable performance like he always does and things that weren't even in the trailer and then the credits rolled and i just sat there wondering what the hell did i just watch in a good way of course um green knight is filled with just tremendous imagery and themes and ideas that i'm sure you know everyone i i, I you know I haven't done too much research but i'm sure you know there's been a lot of articles about the green knight and you know uh, from the production design is amazing along with the design again of the green knight played by the uh awesome ralph ensign who from from the witch you know his voice is immediately you know uh recognizable um this is you know kind of everyone's dream of a movie i guess if you you know if you're a production designer and stuff like that but is the movie too slow for its own good maybe the movie does rely on its you know art house style um style over substance approach a little bit maybe too much Um, but that said uh when it comes down to the acting and everything you know Dave Patel does a great job Alicia Van pulls double duty here she plays uh two characters Joe Edgerton shows up as a mysterious character uh which if you've read you know the 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 you know the legend of of, um the Green Knight and you know you probably kind of know his connection a little bit but maybe not because the movie isn't necessarily fully clear with who the Green Knight is and and stuff like that so um is it a little too art housey for me personally? Maybe, but there's no doubt that the Green Knight is hands down visually one of the best looking movies of the year, no doubt about it. So there you go. Uh, other other notable movies I just want to point out. I think I mentioned La- Ryan the last night earlier. Uh, the French Dispatch was the new Wes Anderson movie, not my favorite, but I still want to put it out there because it is you know it, it is Wes Anderson and and some of the stuff that that happened in the movie was was pretty good. Um, Eternals I still will mention Eternals I know Eternals is very has a very mixed audience and bag and stuff like that so there is that No Man Land which came out very earlier this year technically a last year movie but didn't get a wide release until this year and that's when I watched it so there is that uh One Shot which was an action movie that I watched that was shot in one continuous take that was pretty good and then of course um One Night in Miami very very good solid performances by by the by the leads of the movie uh so there you go all right that's the honorable mentions let us move on to my favorite movies of the year all right so my first favorite movie of the year uh we have belfast i didn't i had zero intention to watch belfast i'm not i'm not gonna lie to you i had zero intention to watch belfast like at all i didn't even know it was coming out until a couple months before it was released and then i heard some pretty good things about the movie and stuff like that so i was like you know what why not let's go watch it it was playing surprisingly at my local theater which um i didn't think it would uh and we went in the middle of the week and it was just me and my brother and we had the theater to ourselves we didn't rent out the theater just no one was there to watch it because it wasn't a movie that we'd expect to play in our in our theater in our local theater so we went and we watched it and we had a great time it was good it was written and directed by Kenneth Branagh and the movie is actually based off Branagh's own life in the time growing up in Ireland at that time this is when the uh, Christianity and Protestant uh, divide happened in Ireland and um, it follows Buddy who was played by a newcomer um, and making his feature film debut uh, Jude Hill who is living Again, during the divide of, uh, of Catholicism and, and and Protestants at the time, and his parents, uh, played by Jamie Dordan and um, Katrina Balf, constantly bickering about money and when Dorian's character is going to come back to his job in London and his parent and his grandparents played wonderfully by Siren Hines and Judy Dentz, to just give him glimmers of hope and life advice. And just I just really liked it. You know, I, I'm happy that I went to go watch a movie that I had no expectations about and then just ended up being blown away from start to finish this movie is surprisingly very funny and, and hill is so open-minded about the world and he loves movies and tv and at one point he is reading a thor comic which i thought was very funny um heinz and Dench are so great as the grandparents in the movie and i wish that, that we have gotten a little bit more time with them uh bell's character uh, i think i pronounced your last name wrong but um, she's from like the TV series Outlander. I think that's where most people will probably know her from. Um, she, you know, playing the, the single mom to uh, to these boys. There's just two of them. Um, you know, it's just, you know, you can feel it. You know, she's just so good at it. And uh, Dornan comes in and he has his moments in the movie. He doesn't, he, he's not around too much. So you can't really get a good grasp of who he is. But, you know, you get the feeling that he is at least trying to be Uh, a good father and and try to provide for his family and he does have this nice kind of um kind of music it's not really a musical number but they do sing and and and, and he's very very good um so i really liked belfast it's a nice coming of age story it's a period story it gives us even the tiniest look of what it was like living back in back in that day and in brana's life so do yourself a favor if you can find it and once it comes out on, on video on demand i don't think it's out on video on demand just yet but if you can watch belfast do yourself a favor and watch it it's very very good it is in black and white uh the, the beginning of the movie starts off in color because it's showing you the like the present day belfast and then it switches over to black and white when it's telling its stories but it's very very good uh moving on to my other uh of my next actually favorite movie of the year free guy um it feels like the movie shouldn't have worked or been as as much fun as it was but it it was uh directed by sean levy and and of course uh ryan reynolds and judy uh jody comer it, it's it's a uh, fun action adventure comedy that is funny it's charming and at the end of the day it has a lot of heart and that, and that's what's important and you know Reynolds plays, uh, you know, a Guy, uh, a bank teller whose dreams of uh, of something more in his life. Unbeknownst to him, he's actually an a, a malfunctioning uh, NPC character in a video game, and one of the most violent, ruthless open world video games that that that's around. And um, he eventually meets uh, Millie's character, who is played by Comer, who has entered the game for her own reasons and tries to take down the game from the inside while also trying to tell him that he is not a, a you know a real a real person he's just a person from a video game. So, um, the majority of it does fall on Reynolds who is obviously more than capable of doing so and has and, and is one of the things that I liked about Free Guys he doesn't try to make it also doesn't try to make the non video game audience feel dumb or left behind. You know like probably you know anybody else making this movie probably would have it gives you everything you need to know without dumbing it down. And if you, you know, obviously you would appreciate it a little bit more if you knew about video games or even you knew about streaming, you know, there's some streamers that pop in into the game, into the movie as well. So the main thing here is that that makes free guys so good, in my opinion, is that it's just having fun. It's not beating you over the head. It's not, it's clearly, you know, tells you and tells, and you can clearly tell that everyone rather, sorry, I'm, I'm all over the place. You can clearly tell that everyone is having fun. And was just along for the ride. And that's what's most important. Um, so overall, I don't really have anything negative to say about Free Guy. You know, I, I really enjoyed myself. I, I genuinely laughed out loud at a lot of the jokes. And the cameos that are in this movie. Oh, uh, The cameos are great in this movie. It, really. They, they really, really are. So um, give Free Guy a chance if you haven't watched it yet next favorite movie on the list uh Judas and the Black Messiah uh this one immediately jumped to my must watch list as well when I saw that first trailer because that first trailer was really really great and it, you know obviously it tells the story of uh Fred Hampton uh played here by Daniel Kaluuya who does an amazing job uh playing you know Fred Hampton who was of course uh, the famed uh, Black Panther leader um and uh, you have um Lakeith Stanfield in here playing uh William O'Neill who is essentially blackmailed and hired by the fbi to go in and kind of spy on them spy on the black panther party spy on Fred hampton's you know chapter and you know r- you know give information to the fbi and stuff like that so judas and the black messiah is just it was a whirlwind of a movie when the tensions rise in the movie it stays there and it grips you on so tightly never letting go until it wants to, and Kaluya's is so damn good in here, and th- there's a reason why, he, you know, he he was able to win uh, an award because he's just so good, and he commands every every time he's on screen, he commands it, and he and and you just are mesmerized by him, and he does such a great job of that, and you can only imagine that 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 was what you know, that was what people felt like when they were watching Fred Hampton because people have said that Fred Hampton was a, an awesome speaker and you see that in the movie and you see that with Kuluya and you know the, the 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 comparison and the parallels to that is is really great and you know whenever he's not on screen you know it, you can pro, you can say it hurts the movie but you know then you have Stanfield to bounce off of and he's there to pick up the slack in the movie and he's really great and a lot of the time you know he's not necessarily always with Daniel Kaluuya's character so it's it's really good um but another highlight of the movie is that we shouldn't forget about is Dominique Fishback she plays uh Deborah Johnson the eventual wife and mother to uh Fred Hampton's children and Fishback holds her own she holds her own she has a great scene with, with Kaluuya uh where she recites a poem that apparently was was a real poem that uh the real Deborah Johnson uh wrote and, and read at some point and you know, she has that other great scene near the end of the movie, which, you know, I, I think anybody who knows Fred Hampton's story knows, you know, that he was pretty much, you know, killed by the, by the FBI, um, and, and sparks the revolution that, you know, he, he talked about so much, uh, she, you know, you have that great scene, it's a, it's horrifying scene, but she plays it so well, and you can, it, it just, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than, you know, it, it's a terrifying scene, it's a horrifying scene, in the fact that it Really did happen, but she, you know, the way that she kind of, you know, re- reenacts that scene is it's it's powerful enough. And the story of Fred Hampton, and everyone involved in it is truly remarkable. And the fact that I re- that I forgot and that I realized that the movie takes liberties with Hampton's age because Hampton was actually a lot younger than the movie plays it out. But the movie plays it out like they're like in their thirties or you know late twenties or something. Like no, they were kids. They were teenagers when this happened. So when you take that into account and you take into account everything that Fred hampton did which this movie you know you know obviously tries to you know recreate and stuff that's amazing that he was able to do that at that young of an age so Jews and the black messiah itself as a movie it's a bit of a slow burn you know there's some moments that you know uh that that they're a little slow but it, you know it's building it's always building up these characters and building up tension and, and rising it and then you know uh, it's a movie that you know keeps you going the performance in the story just keep it going from beginning to end so that's what i really like about it so yeah uh jews and black Messiah very very good um, next movie on the list nobody uh, seeing older veteran actors taking you know these highly stylized action roles recently it's it's pretty damn cool you know we can probably thank Liam Meeson for that uh this time we have Bob Odenkirk uh in Nobody which is a lot of fun you know he plays Hutch he's a uh, family man who wakes up every morning and does the same thing over and over again and then just one day you know someone breaks into his house and you know he goes searching because you know they stole his daughter's watch and he ends up uh doing something that he probably shouldn't have done because he was kind of laying low for a long time and he gets in the crosshairs of a mob boss and he has to uh fight his way out as everyone does when that happens but uh nobody could easily fit in the world of like john wick and everyone was making that comparison which is fair because the writer of john wick was the writer of nobody so it makes sense but um I I don't know what else to say other than about nobody, other than I had a lot of ton, I had a lot of fun watching it. This is probably one of the only movies that I've actually watched multiple times this year because it was just it's just really good. It's got solid action in it. Kirk is fantastic in it and I I want a sequel. I mean that that's 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 all I really had to say. I just want a sequel and that's 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 enough. Uh, the next movie is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Marvel is back to their origin stories, uh, giving us an origin for one of their oldest heroes. Shang-Chi's been around in the comics for a long time. Uh, so, gone on the problematic issues. And, and, and in return, we get a good story with awesome uh, action sequences. Probably the best action sequences Um at least hand-to-hand comment for sure and a bright future for the mcu uh simu lu uh plays shang chi uh, after years of hiding from his you know father played by tony long in the movie um having his own life he's been tracked down and has to return home uh for mysterious reasons and joining uh, shang chi is uh kathy played by arcadia rather uh played by um uh, uh in here she's great she's always great in everything she does so that's really cool and then you have a sister um played by um I'm not gonna pronounce her name because I I will get it wrong uh but she's in there she has her own issues with Shang-Chi and her father as well so I don't think really anybody knew what to expect from from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings the 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 subtitle you know obviously made a lot of fans happy from the MCU because it was gonna bring back the Ten Rings which have you know haven't been you know mentioned or involved since iron man and we finally have the the real mandarin here played by uh tony long who in the movie is play is named Wen Wu, but he makes that subtle thing when they're having dinner that she reference that he's been called many things since in this whole time that he's been alive so um it does make mention of the mandarin situation of iron man 3 and the short all hail the king which you know ben kingsley is back as trevor slattery which is really really cool um i know some fans were like ah, i mean we don't really need that but i i think you know they did have to mention it <laughs> so they're the you know bringing it back was 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 a nice surprise but uh, i don't really have too many you know negative things to say about shang chi other than it does probably lose some steam near the end before you know the big final act of the movie i think you know eventually it does become you know the big cgi final battle that everyone you know talks about and stuff like that and everyone always you know brings up in marvel movies Uh, i think they underused the death dealer character that was really kind of disappointing because he just had a really cool design um but um i I do think that shang chi legend the 10 rings is probably a top tier marvel uh cinematic universe movies um or movie rather uh so yeah I mean, I, I don't really have too many things to say. I had a lot of fun with Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. So, yeah, uh, I, I can't really say anything negative about that. Uh, so, moving on from one Marvel movie to another, uh, my next on the list, just because that's how it works out uh, alphabetically, Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, it, you know, I, I I did a podcast about Spider-Man No Way Home, my, my reaction to it. I don't know what else I can add other than it's still really really great and the fact that they were able to pull this off is something else that that's it that's all i'm gonna say about about that um so let's move on to the next uh two we only have two left we have uh, the next one is again uh just the way how it works out alphabetically uh the mitchells versus the machines and this movie was another movie that i wasn't really invested in i didn't really know if i i didn't really know if i was going to be interested in watching it and then i saw it because you know we were all at home and we're like you know what let's just let's just watch it and this ended up being i think if i really had to look down at everything i think this is probably my favorite movie of the year it's definitely one of my favorite animated movies of the year for sure hands down but maybe overall one of my favorite movies of the year too the mitchell's of wizard machines um it's on netflix if you want to watch it it follows katie who is voiced by abby jacobson who gets accepted into a prestigious film school far from home which is what she wanted uh, her father voiced by danny mcbride who doesn't completely understand her movies and secretly not ready to let you know let her go and, and grow up and, and move away packs up the whole family of herself of her, himself uh, Katie, their mom, played um, voiced rather uh, by Meyer Rudolph, their younger brother, uh, voiced by one of the directors of the movie Michael uh, Rianda, and their dog to take Katie to the um, to the school, which is. So it's a uninvited, un, unplanned road trip across the country to drop her off, uh, which Katie does not want. Unfortunately for them, an AI named Pal, voiced by Olivia Coleman, comes to life and decides that humans aren't worth it anymore. And the robot uprising has begun. And now the Mitchells, with all their bickering and all, might be their only hope. Or might be humanity's only hope to to save the world. So I, again, really, I loved, I'm not going to sugar-coated i loved the mitchell's versus the machines i told you this might be my favorite anime movie of the year it might be my favorite movie of the year overall if i really think about it i had so much fun watching this i laughed way harder than i thought i would the jokes land perfectly it's absurdly wild and more funnier than it needed to be there's a mall sequence in this movie that is just it's so it had no reason being as funny and as fun as it should have, and it was, and the message of the movie is great. It's a great night in for the family, or if you just want to watch a great animated movie. I, I can't, you know, say anything else other than positive things about the Mitchells versus the Machines. Honestly, I, I love it. I, I really did. Are in the last movie, on uh, my favorite movies of the year, again, just this is how it worked out. I probably should have just switched it because I was going to talk about it. The Suicide Squad. Look, I was not a fan of The Suicide Squad, the first one. There were some things that worked, like Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, and, you know, granted, she went on and, you know, did Birds of Prey, and it was the first live action Harley Quinn that we've gotten, so there, there was that. You know, Will Smith as Deadshot was pretty cool too, but I think the majority. Uh, the majority, uh, the reason why we disliked uh, the first Suicide Squad is, you know, we, all those reports of studio interference. Which, look, it's it's technically their movie, they they are allowed, but sometimes, and I stress this very much, sometimes it might be best just to let the director you hire do their job. But uh, there you go. Anyway, jump forward in time, we got Warner Brothers giving another go at the Suicide Squad, and this time with a much brighter Color palette, a new director in James Wan or James Wan, James Gunn. Um, and a slew of new characters that let's face it, we all knew were going to die at some point. But more importantly, again, a new director in James Gunn. And Gunn brought in a much welcome new chaotic energy to the project, so much that while the movie does bring back some characters like uh, like Harley and Viola Davis's um, Amanda Waller, Joe Kinnaman's Rick Flag, and Jai Courtney's Bec- Captain Boomerang, the movie felt like a brand new thing. A- and if you held out, and you you really don't need to watch the first movie because this movie kind of treats it as its own thing. You probably would appreciate you know the characters that, that they return, but at the same time, you really don't need to watch that you know first movie. Uh, but gun goes full balls to the wall with the suicide squad with the action the gore the jokes that that run a plenty the action here is really what surprised me because clearly his time in the mcu has allowed gun to really handle big budget action set pieces the humor is spot on it doesn't always work but for for the the one the humor that does it it really works and the characters feel real we we you know get to the core when we get to the core characters we're going to follow them through the movie and you really do Care for them, and you feel for them, and, and and it really sucks when they're injured or when you think they think they're about to die. Um, Daniela uh, manquires I can't you pronounce your last name, if I'm not, I apologize. Uh, Rat catcher Two is really the heart and soul of the movie, and her somewhat father-daughter relationship with Idris Elba's, uh Bloodsport, which is really cool, works in the movie as well. John Cena's Peacemaker is obviously you know a standout for a different reason. Obviously, he's getting his you know TV series that comes out later this month. Overall, of course, the fan favorite is probably uh, David Descomelchian's Polka Dot Man, who is the butt of a lot of jokes, but he gets his moments and, to, and gets his moments to shine that that really, really work in the movie as well the suicide squad does fall into some pitfalls of being a big movie so we have you know to add some stuff to fill out the movie but uh while it doesn't always work for the most part the suicide squad is a massive improvement from the last outing and also had uh, just a, a, it's a ton of fun and it's really enjoyable in it's you know in, in its entirety so i i really like the suicide squad you can say it's an improvement from the last movie because it is but as a standalone movie by itself if that other movie didn't exist i think this was also very very good and probably is one of the best movies of the year um as well but uh if again if looking at the whole list i would have to say that probably the mitchell's versus the machines if i really get to pick one i think the mitchell's vs. the machines is probably my favorite movie of the year I'm not gonna lie yes spider-man in there as well but at the end of the day i think i liked mitchell's versus the machines that, that's it <laughs> that is my my list that's it finally probably you're probably thinking like thank god he's finally stopped talking uh <laughs> it is it was a definitely another year of interesting movies that came out this year so but at the end of the day whether my big ass list what were some of your favorite movies what were some of your enjoyable movies liked at least like frustrating surprises you know what have you um did you just give up on movies entirely again because of covid I know why I almost did, but you know, thankfully I didn't. actually that's not true. I was going to watch movies nonetheless. Um, but nonetheless, here's to another great, another great year, another awesome year of movies, hopefully. And a giant thank you to all of you who who have listened to my nonsense of this recap of 2021, but also everyone who has listened to the podcast this last year. And hopefully you come back and continue to listen this year and, and for the whole year and and stuff like that. I got things planned for this year it might take a little bit for them to fully happen and go into effect because you know of work and stuff like that so but uh hopefully when it does go into effect you guys like it again just thank you so much for listening and thank you guys for everything really uh you know this podcast is going to go on its sixth year this year which is mind-boggling to me because i did not think i'd be getting to six years i didn't even think i'd be getting to five years but six years coming up uh next month in february so thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast i appreciate all of you uh hopefully you guys are uh had, had a good year and had a you know good holidays and stuff like that i know we're like weeks out but still this is my first podcast of the year i gotta you know i still gotta tell you guys that so thank you guys so much and i We'll see you guys uh, next week when we bring back the podcast for the weekly roundup of news and everything else like that. So yeah, make sure to check out all the links down below. Be good people. And as always, uh, considering this is a recap, go continue watching some movies. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response